like depression, anxiety has always kind of been this uh, family thing that uh, my one side of my family just would always they would have it and it was kind of normalized to the point where yeah you just like get these you just get these feel-good pills and then you take them and then you're good and I was on I was subscribed to that for a little while and then I kind of realized like I was like what am I doing like I have to be doing something wrong there has to be something wrong with my thinking or there's got to be something wrong with the way I'm living my life that's making me like feel like this and so that's when I started getting on, and it was a very subtle change, you know. I mean, it was it was very slow, but it was like I started cleaning up my diet, started learning how diet affects your can def- affect like your brain, your gut biome. I started, you know, I got into jujitsu, so I was really starting to clean up my lifestyle. I stopped going out because I wanted to stop getting my ass kicked on the weekends, basically. And so it was all these like little mini steps. And so I weaned myself off of uh, whatever pills I was taking for the depression and stuff. And I just, I realized that like I needed to cope with this in a different way. And so the way I was, the way I was coping with it was with the pills or whatever, or drinking always. I was always doing that. I mean, I was from Wisconsin too. And that, that's kind of required, right? Yeah, it was. It really is. <laughs> And so, but when I, when I took that out, I needed to replace it with something. And so I replaced it with these healthy activities that were like getting me in shape, giving me a goal, giving me a purpose, getting me uncomfortable. And when you just start subscribing to that way of life, it's really is, it's a lifestyle at that point. You just realize how much better life you get. And then you start getting these people into your life because you start doing these similar activities that start raising you up as well. And at the end of that race, I got to meet Chad Lubinsky, who's our guest today. And and Chad, we we like hit it off immediately right away because we love the similar books. Um, and and before I knew it, he was like getting ready. He's like, I'm I'm getting. Oh, you just ran this marathon. That's great. And all he was like, so proud of us. I mean, half marathon. And he's like, Bo. Uh, what are you doing? He's like, well, I'm running. I'm going to do a, uh, going to climb Mount Rainier, which is 14,000 feet for those who aren't aware of that. And then he's like, and after that, I'm going to do this hundred miler. Um, and so, so the deal that we had, Chad, right, was you don't get to be on the show unless you complete the hundred miler. Isn't that correct? Absolutely. And it came up like I was telling you before. Came up more than a few times in the race that I had to get it done for this podcast. It is, and and we're going to show you some. We're going to see if we can pull off showing a little footage of the guests. But hey, Chad, and this I'm going to ad lib a little bit here with Chad. Basically, so Chad um, gave me this like super awesome one sentence, you know, bio. But I'm going to give you a little bit more. So Chad is is he he would say he's a regular 40 hour week guy. You know, he has a job, a main job, but what he does in the weekends is a is a sponsored outdoorsman is absolutely extraordinary. And if you aren't already following Chad, I'm going to definitely encourage you to follow Chad. All of his information we'll be sharing uh, later at the end of the show. What he said was, hey, I'm just a regular guy who previously battled depression, anxiety, but learned to cope by doing things outside your comfort zone, right? And, And things outside your comfort zone, I mean, doing the Cascades 100 and gaining 11,500 elevation feet, is bananas. So Chad, 
welcome finally to the Measure Success Podcast. I appreciate it, Carl. I've been actually listening to your podcast as well and super informative. I just want to say thank you again for having me on. It's a pleasure to be here and I can't wait to talk about the 100. <laughs> yeah, so let, we're going to start off with that. And so I'm going to see if I could pull off this video um, <laughs> multimedia here in just a moment. So I'm going to have, I'm going to put up my screen and, and you should be able to hear what we're going to show, but this is Chad on mile 94. Yeah. And, and once again, for those who aren't watching, you're not going to be. Uh, yeah. Not very fast, huh? <laughs> so it, you may not be, once again, you, people are listening. You're not going to pick up what's going on. Chad is in extraordinary physical shape and he is walking with walking sticks on mile 94 to just take a step. I mean, this is, and, and what's funny, you told me, Chad, tell me about what Haley, Haley was thinking like she was gonna like run with you, right? Yeah, it was awesome. Like all my pacers within, from mile 82 on, I had two different pacers and both of them were like jacked up, stoked, ready to go. And I had just gone through all of the night, like 30, 40 miles at night with me and another pacer. I was just getting down, it was morning. So they're just jacked up. And I mean, I was about as fast as like a slow moving toddler learning to crawl. I mean, it, it was, it was sad. And so, yeah, they were just jacked up, ready to go. Haley had her headphones. She took half a caffeine pill. She's, she thought I was going to be rolling this last 6.8 to the finish. And I was just like, Hey, hun, you got to slow down a little bit. You got to, got to work with me here. So I was really just kind of at like a trot was like my, my top speed at that point in the race. <laughs> now, prior getting into the, this race, what was the farthest you ever ran before then? Uh, 50 miler. So I did a 50 miler last year and that was kind of my big ultra that I did. And then, yeah. And then for this year, I, my longest run leading up to the hundred was 41 miles around Mount hood Timberline. So not, you know, that's 60 more miles. It's, it's crazy, you know, cause you know, you know, as running a half marathon, a lot of times you're running 11 miles as like your longer training run. Right. So you only have, you know, two, 2.1 left and it's like, oh, nice. And yeah, for this, it was like 60 more miles. Wow. Okay. That's, that's, that's different. You know what I mean? So how is my body going to respond to it? And so I think that's where my training, I think, because we'll probably get into it, but my training, I only ran three days a week. I only did three days a week running. I probably did 30 miles average, but I did all these like little nuanced things that I think helps my durability throughout the run. So let's talk about that. So, so how in the heck do you train for a hundred miler? Go, go through. So first of all, how long did you know you wanted to do a hundred miler? And so when, how long did it take you to actually train to do a hundred miler? Yeah. So I've probably, I, it's been a bucket list for probably five years and then three years for sure. And you know, it, it takes time to work up to, actually believing that that's possible because when I first started running I mean I didn't really find it possible I was just like I don't understand and so as you start progressing in in it and you progressively overload your runs and all that type of things you start getting this belief like what if I could Goggins says it all the time but what if I could and so I started thinking that way and then once you start hanging around these people also you start making friends at these ultras they're doing these hundred milers, 200 milers and all this. And you're like, okay, I think like I could do this. And so it's just this progressive thing of 
it's just a progressive mental thing. And it's just like a ladder. It's just everything that every time you get out of your comfort zone, it's like a longer launch pad. I, I kind of think of it as, and, and then you just keep taking off. And so, so yeah. And then as far as training went, I am actually, I see my training plan right here. I mean, this training plan had you run in six days a week. And I, I'm just going to be honest with you. I don't like running that much. Like I, I can't run six days. I have, I have so many eclectic different hobbies. I, I, I do a lot of other things. So I was like, okay, I have to figure out like how to get decent mileage, but also like maintain my durability. And so what I did was a couple different things. Number one, I started off in February training for this and I started and off. So that's time timeline for those who are listening. So February is when you start training 2022 and you yes. ran this, this was just in August, right? Yeah, when, it was two weeks ago. So it would have been August 27th or 26th. Yep. Perfect. Yep. Okay. So it was yep. about six months and so I started off though with the four by four by 48 David Goggins challenge, which was exceptional. If anybody's doing a hundred miles, yeah, go, were you gonna so say describe that a little bit more for those yeah. who aren't familiar with that race is. So it's, it's four running four miles every four hours for 48 hours. And really it's running four miles every like three hours because you know, you gotta, you gotta warm up, you gotta run it and then you gotta get back and kind of cool down. Right. So it's actually like every, everybody thinks it's four hours, but it's actually like really three hours, you know, you get between each run and it's sneaky hard. It's, it's very sneaky hard. And so, you know, you have to get up at 8 PM, 12 AM, 4 AM, 8, 8 AM. And it just kind of revolves like that for your whole weekend, basically. And it's great because prior to that, I was very uh, concerned about the sleep deprivation in a hundred. I have never really been that good at no sleep. You could ask Haley. I'm a super big crab when I get, I miss an hour of sleep. I hate it. I love sleep. I I know it's so great for recovery and all this. Right. And so I was very concerned about that, but that was the catalyst to be like, okay, I can actually maybe survive on less sleep. So after that, I, I kept running and all that. And I was, again, I was still doing three days a week, but then I started getting more into mountaineering and mountaineering again was really good for sleep deprivation because we'd wake up at 1am and then you would go time on feet. So I think there's two things that you got to think of sleep deprivation and time on feet. Mountaineering hits two of those. You get a ton of time on feet, just going very slow, like you do in a hundred really. And you also get the sleep deprivation. So I did like Mount Baker. Yeah. Rainier, Rainier was 20 and a half hours just straight. We started at 10 PM and just went to the next day. So it, it all added up to exactly how you would like run a hundred or be like in a hundred. So yeah, I did all that. And then obviously you have to have a strength component to it. And there was two things that I did with that. There was one that was called a muscular endurance. And it was this free workout by the Uphill Athlete, which is a very good podcast. They talk all about, uh, basically, it's this free training plan. It's progressively overloads, but it focuses a lot on eccentric loading. So you're doing a lot of jumps, a lot yeah. of um, step ups and things like that. That really helps you for when you're getting, when you're pounding your legs on the downhill for these mountain races, you know. So I would do that once a week. I'd be sore for like three days, you know. <laughs> Do that. And then I also would do a mobility program I do online uh, twice a week. And so I would get strength in different ranges of motion. So I was like doing those coupled with the running, coupled with the mountaineering and and that. Because it's like for an average person, you know, someone that's elite running 100, they have like a very specific plan. But for me, it was more of doing all these different types of activities that kind of made sense for 100 
and just going from there and then and it worked out i mean i was it was great like my legs were yeah i was jacked up what actually happened was i neglected to train my tibialis anterior so like when you like lift up your foot right like that muscle there in the front of your shin i never trained it and so what happened it blew up on me both ankles by like 82 and so that's why i couldn't walk both of those i mean i'm still it's still i just started running again yesterday and it's still kind of a shooting pain a little bit in that left ankle, but it, it'll be fine. But yeah, so I neglected that and it came up, came back to bite me in the butt. <laughs> but you didn't, you probably didn't even weren't aware that you were going to have that challenge heading nope. into it. Nope. Nope. So along the way, so I think a lot of people didn't know, and I didn't frankly even know, I, I read a lot a little bit to basic understanding, but it's not just running the hundred miles. There are checkpoints along the way where they're checking for your stamina health and oh, yeah. also they're timed, oh, yeah. right? So if you don't meet one of them, you're booted out of the race. So um, how many people, I'm curious, I don't know if you know the rough numbers, but how many people roughly started the race? How many people actually finished this particular Cascades 100? Yeah, I think it was about 180 started. 44 DNF'd and then the rest finished. So whatever that was. Okay. And, but you're totally right with the cutoffs. And that was a concern with this race because this is only its second year. And their first cutoff was at 49 miles and it, you had to be there at a certain time, like you were saying, right? And I checked my watch at 49 miles and I'm, there's no aid station anywhere near. And I'm asking my, the people I met, they're at 49, nothing, nothing. nothing. Two more miles it takes us to get to this aid station at 49. So Haley's there, my crew's there. They're like, where the heck have you been? I'm like, dude, like it was supposed to be here two miles. So the rest of the race, I was playing catch up a lot with these cutoffs. Uh, and so that's why at, um, at some of these, actually at every aid station, basically, I never really sat down. I just would go in there. I'd grab something and which is what why i had a huge blood blister at the end of at the end of the race in my foot is because i was never cleaning my feet i never had time i was just like grabbing stuff i was going i told Haley, i was like we got to get going for the last one because we had two hours to do 6.8 miles but i was like well maybe it's not even 6.8 miles at this point i can't trust the course so i'm trying to get as much buffer as i can so cutoffs and that's one thing i said in one of my videos you got to be like you have to buffer even more time for cutoffs and if if it's a new course, it could be totally wrong. It could be mm. totally wrong. So yeah. something to know. So you get to this. So the first age station was until 49 slash 51 miles. No, they had, or, they had a bunch of ages. They had along the way. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I think there's about 14 throughout the total okay. of the race. Got it. Got it. So you, you head towards and. Once again, things are, what was, what is the required pace roughly to maintain, you know, what per minute, so to speak, you know, how, what was that kind of expectation of that to get it halfway there? Yeah. So you, well, you had to get so you, to finish the whole race in 32 hours, you had to maintain like a 19 minute mile pace. Got it. That yeah. was like the whole thing. Yeah. And then some of the earlier aid stations, they were a little bit faster. It was in the 18s and things mm -hmm. like that. So what actually ended up happening a lot and Haley said this too and some of the other people on my crew is these people went out very hard and by the time they got to 50 and 60 they started blowing up and a lot of that's where a lot of them washed out was got because it. they went too hard and they didn't kind of conserve themselves and 
I really conserved myself till about 50. And that's when I started picking it, trying to pick it up more. Mm-hmm. And cause you gotta be really patient with these. I mean, there's a lot that can happen. I mean, and yeah, you have to have some buffer time, but there's also, <laughs> there's just so many things that can happen. I had a buddy that was behind me at one point, then never saw him till the end of the race. And what ended up happening is he just couldn't keep anything down. He was thrown up this whole entire time up this hill. I didn't see him till 93 when I picked up Haley and I was like, wow, dude. So you have these rallies, these, these giant roller coasters throughout the entire race that you have to ride and that you have to know that it will get better if you just keep plugging away. It usually gets better. Because once again, we're 10, you said 11,500 rough elevation gain, right. which means right. that you're going down and up, you know, yeah. like, like, like through it. So that's crushing your quads on the way down and mm-hmm. crushing your, <laughs> your, everything is just getting completely worked. Mm-hmm. And what was the terrain like? Was it an actual path or was it rough or was it, what was, what was that like? Yeah, it was a very, it was a very nice buttery trail, actually. It oh, was, good. it was very sandy though. And so by the end of it, that's why it's very critical that you take care of your feet at the aid stations and you have someone cleaning your feet with a towel or water or whatever. And I was even wearing what they call gaiters over my ankles so that no rocks and stuff would get in it. But it didn't stop the dust. It was going right through my shoes. And I mean, by the end of it, they, my, my feet were completely black. And I only got my feet washed one time. And that's what happens. You just, when you're kind of in that type of environment. So foot care is huge. And actually, I got to thank Haley for it because she was the one that said, yeah, I was looking at all these other people that came in the aid stations. They were getting their feet washed. So I better do it for you too. So she saved me there. Probably a couple other blisters. <laughs> So you're, you're, you're going, once again, going through, so let's talk about the mental side a little bit now. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, when, when, when did you start going, uh-oh, you know, when, when was that point you were just like, <clears throat> whoa, this is, this is crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I think I visualized it so much that I didn't get to that point until about 82, my whole strategy with this whole thing was there was 14 aid stations. So I never thought of it as a hundred miles. What I did was I just, I just mentally was trying to get to the next aid station, which was 4.9 miles away, 9.8 miles away. That's all I thought. I never thought about it in terms of a hundred miles or 425 milers or whatever, anything like that. The time I did though, was when I got to 82, it was morning now. And I had 18, I had six hours to do 18 miles and I was going pretty slow and I was very concerned at that point. And again, I was behind in these weird cutoffs because now at this point I was three, because by the time I ended this race, I was at 103 miles on my watch. So hundred miles, 103 miles. I don't know. I have no idea where I was at, but so I was very concerned with these last 18 miles. So that's where I started getting concerned. And it was more of not that I couldn't do it. It was that I could, I needed to make the cutoff. I was just so concerned about this cutoff. And so that's why I was just basically, you're talking about the trekking poles. I was basically just pulling myself with these trekking poles because I was basically dragging my left foot the entire time because it was injured at that point. And so, yeah, that's where, where I started freaking out. I think it kind of lit a fire under me though. It started making me go faster where if I was above the cutoff, I probably wouldn't have, you know, I wouldn't have had to put that much effort into it, but because I was so scared, it was the fear that was, 
really driving me. <laughs> so. So that's amazing. So I loved it. So you broke up, you had this long race, you broke up yes. in smaller segments, right? To, to make it more bite-sized, so to speak, you know, type, type events, you got through it. And it wasn't, I love it. It wasn't until my 82, which was now looking back, that was over a marathon further than you've ever ran before. Right. <laughs> which is like, you know, put that in perspective, right? Yeah. You know, that's kind of crazy. I mean, it was, it, it was is. that much further and here you only had less than a marathon left, <laughs> right. but, but, but you had, it really was an injury at the end of the day, which, which, yeah. you know, helped get through. Um, is that, when did you pick up the sticks? Was that right around then? How, like how, when in the race, and is that common for people to kind of have the whole way or because of yeah. the elevation climb that's there? How does that work? Yeah, yeah it's a good question. It, it's different for everybody, obviously, but uh, some people started off the race with it, but I was like, I'm not going to carry it it was probably like a 4,000 feet of vert until you got to mile 36 where you could get a drop bet where you could get, you could see your crew for the first time and you could finally um, pick up some of the stuff that they had at that point is when I actually picked them up because there was the first 66 miles of the course was basically all climbing. There was a couple, I mean, there was downs and stuff like that, but there was mostly, that was where the 11 five was. So after 66, it was more, more downhill. And okay. so I think that's what really, again, screwed up my ankle because of the eccentric loading of, I kept going downhill for so many miles that it was just, it was just cranking on it. So yeah, I choose to do it at 36. I really like running with them. I mean, I use them for hiking all the time. They're super small. They, they fold up and things like that. I think they're super effective. And obviously I was using them quite a bit at the end. So they worked well for me. Wow. Wow. What? I got to imagine once again, there's so many things you got to go through your head. What surprised you? Right off the bat, what surprised me was how well I did at night. I think it was, it was a, just, I was used to it at that point, just with all the mountaineering stuff that I did and all this like night training that I've done, I was comfortable there. It was so bizarre. And that was something that I was very afraid of before the hundred and the training really helped me through that. And you don't really hear about that type of training in all these other training plans if you're trying to run a hundred. And so I think it freaks some people out. We got up to this one aid station. We were cold. It was 37 degrees. We only had some light pullovers on and I gave my buddy, my gloves that was pacing me. We get up to this aid station and there's these two people by this fire and they were, it was like a propane fire and they were just like zombies. I mean, it was the most bizarre thing I've ever seen. They were, they were in about three blankets could barely talk, eyes shut, and just sit. and I told my pacer, I said, dude, we were freezing. I was like, we gotta grab some broth at this aid station. We gotta warm our hands up and we gotta go because we're gonna end up exactly like them. Mm. So that was another thing I think that was really good was I didn't get, we like to call it vortex into the aid stations where a lot of people will go there, they'll get comfortable, they'll sit down, and then they just get sucked in. And that's where a lot of people quit. And I've seen this in through hiking which i do a lot people will go into town to resupply their food they'll stay there at the hotel for a couple days they get comfortable and then they'd stop and so i did not want to have that any of that so i was really surprised with how well i and i learned that in my 50 miler i wait i was way taking way too long at aid stations so i finished it way slower than i wanted to so i had some pain from there some residual pain but 
the other thing i guess was how i love the crew aspect it was such an awesome team my parents flew out haley was there and some people from work my other buddy and it gives me the chills right now but that was probably the best part of the hundred and that's not something i was expecting it was this team effort it was great to see them at every station and it just it felt like a team it was it was awesome it was really it was a really unique experience yeah what did you feel like when you crossed the finish line I felt relieved, number one, because I had said, you know, I was like, I'm never going to do this again. As I was running, that's what I was saying. I'm like, I'm never, ever going to do this again. So I felt relieved at first, you know, and, and I just felt so grateful for everyone that was there and spent their weekends watching me and helping me. And to be honest, your head's pretty messed up because you didn't have sleep you know, you're so exhausted. And so it wasn't really until really kind of this week, because then, like I said, I got COVID about two days after trying to recover. Yeah. So you're welcome. You're welcome. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Unreal. Right. So it's really been like this week. And I kind of describe it as it's just this feeling where you feel like no challenge is, is too much for you anymore. Like you have this weird, like, energy this aura about you where I've only got this a couple times in my life and that was when when I was hunting I I was bow hunting and I harvested an elk and when I completed the John Muir trail those are the two other instances and it just it's this weird feeling this weird energy that sticks with you for about two to three weeks and you just feel very content with what you did But then it gets into, okay, now what do I do? Mm -hmm. So it kind of switches. So that's where I'm transitioning into now. (laughs) So So when you, when you first said something and people wouldn't have been able to tell, but I saw your facial expressions, you, you, you started to tear up a little bit when you first, when you started to talk about it, Uh, or at least, you know, a little bit uh, emotion. I mean, I got to imagine you had your parents there, you had Haley there, you had these quote, you had all these people that went through two days yeah. And also all the preparation talk. I mean, you've been talking about this for six, well, for five years, you've kind of talked about this. Right. Right. You, you finally get to this end and, and they're all there to celebrate. Was, was it a big yeah. ball fest? Was it, was it, yeah, yeah. I mean, what, what was it like? Like when you were there, like hugging people and, or, or yeah. just like, man, I need to sit down and. Yeah. Sleep. <laughs> well, so as, so you kind of finish on this track as you come into this in, in sisters there and you kind of cross the street and my parents were there, Haley was running with me. And I said, we got to, let's all do this together. I want you all to run with me around this track. So my mom and dad were like, Oh no, we don't want to get you disqualified or something. Like it's not going to, it's not going to happen. You know, that's my least concern right now. And so I got them to run the track with me, which was so cool. And yeah. And then I finished. I remember giving my dad a hug and, you know, as a son, you always are trying to look favorable in your father's light, you know, and I'm the firstborn son. And I kind of felt me and my dad didn't get along that well in high school type of thing. And now that I, and then I moved out here in college. And so 
and our relationship's gotten a lot better. And so there's this picture of me hugging my dad, which is now the background of my phone, which was, which was really cool. That was a cool, special moment. And then of course, like my mom was there and like, she's always been just so supportive of me and everybody just kind of took care of me after the, <laughs> after the race. I mean, my, both my ankles had to be on ice and, and I had this blood blister. I mean, it was like this big. I mean, I got to send you that picture because it was insane. And so actually Guy Hardwick, we went to their house after and he ended up draining it. And so, dude, it was just so cool. Like I've never had any of that with my adventures. You know, I finished the Colorado Trail or the John Muir Trail and all these things. And nobody's there around me. I can tell people about it, but nobody ex- kind of experienced it with me. And everybody went through that experience with me for the 100. And so... It was just, it was super special. It's really cool. I, I now what was fun, I think, we, you know, we briefly mentioned, but I, I loved it that, I mean, once again, you hadn't, that had nothing to do with this, but to, to, you've actually accomplished a hundred mile or two. That that was the, by the way, I was going to let you on anyways. I, I'm, I, now I can tell you that, but because <laughs> just attempting it, but I didn't want to tell you that beforehand. Um, you're going to come on anyways, but what was did um let's talk about that that fear of failure for a minute okay because even when we were talking we were talking about books and stuff like this and you made this comment said yeah one of my buddies he got kicked out you know on on one of the miler thing i keep i'm curious about that like you know did you have this i don't want to fail type aspect i mean how much was that a part of the the push on, on on getting yourself to go yeah, it was huge. It was huge. So they always say in those last 10 miles, you kind of have these crazy epiphanies. And one of the epiphanies I had was that I self-sabotaged myself sometimes. And I thought back to, I do jujitsu as well. And I was in a tournament and I was going for first place. I was winning the match. And I literally had this thought that said, I shouldn't be winning this match. I don't deserve number one. And what happened? I got tapped out. I literally reversed it. I got ankle locked and I tapped out and I went back to my comfortable spot of being second. Right. I thought about that. Those last 10 miles, I was just like, why do I do this? And I can't do this now. Cause it would be so easy just to lay on this freaking trail. You know, I could just, I don't have to, I don't have to go six more miles or whatever it is. I've done an, I've done it. That's the, another limiting belief I have. I've done enough. Right. And mm. so I was battling that throughout the whole time. And, and then it's just, it's, it's just an interesting, it's just an interesting, uh, mode of thought that you get into. And so you got to work out of it. Cause those are those demons that they always say will come at you in your low moments. And that was a low moment for me. Cause I was just in so much pain and going so slow, concerned about the cutoff and all that. And so it was really cool that I was able to think about that, realize, become self-aware of it, and then work out of it to then get to the finish line and kind of put that in my pocket for later when something like that comes out and and think to myself, oh, but I didn't self-sabotage myself on this huge 100-mile race, you know? And so, so yeah, it was, it's just crazy. It's just crazy. Those last 10 miles are so crazy. I- and and I think that's so interesting is that I, I think it's often when, when we see people from the outside perform incredible things, there's this appearance of just success, right? You know, right. you're running a magic success show and we talk about the success, but what you're talking about is here, you're on mile 94, 95, and you're 
questioning whether you're going to finish five more miles. Now, granted, you look at the video, you're like, yeah, you. I don't know if you're going to finish it either. I mean, when you show that like 10 second split, it's like you're in a lot of pain, you know, going through this. But, yeah. but the will that you still had to overcome. But I think this is, once again, is something that's missed often in people's journeys to a point of success in their life is that we all, I mean, I don't know many people who don't ever f- at one point either feel they're not worthy, who don't feel that they can, uh, think they should be second place, that think that they can go through there. What techniques do you do to help you get out of that? Yeah. Oh, Yeah. Such a good question again, Carl. I I have actually been really big into the law of attraction lately. So I do every morning, I am five minutes, I will just envision whatever it is that I'm wanting in the future. And so for the hundred, I kept just thinking about getting to that finish line, getting the buckle that you get at for your trophy. And I just did that for the last month leading up into the hundred. And so I think it does help your brain kind of realize, you know, subconsciously help you get to that place, even if you don't necessarily um, feel worthy when you're like conscious about it. So I was trying to get, I was trying to fix the roots, the roots of it, I guess. And so that's been a big help, I think, is really, yeah, that law of attraction, just trying to manifest it. And it sounds woo woo, right? But like, I've heard enough people talk about it, high level people talk about it that I'm like, okay, I got to try this. And so, and it's just like the repetitions in the weight room. The more that I do it, the more that I am kind of seeing results from it. And that's like in the last 10 miles of the, of the race, I, I just kept thinking about, that was another thing was I just kept thinking about getting to that finish line with that buckle. I was like, God, I've seen this in my head so many times. Like this should work. Like this should work out, you know? And I think if you don't do that, it does become a lot more realistic to fail. And I never did this when I was doing jujitsu and things like that. I never had that mentality. And so now that I've done all these things, especially a lot of the mountain summits this year that I've been pretty big mountains and the hundred and things like that, I've seen it work out in my life. And so I guess I'll continue to do it. I've seen results and yeah, so yeah. Well, I think that's brilliant because what what you're we're talking about is having a vision and 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 seeing yourself. That is the the beauty. You know, there's those who are the classic think and grow rich by Napoleon Hill. Love it. Um, you know, it, it's is these type of of visions that when we can see ourselves, we can see our company, we can see our family, whatever it is, in a future state. The likelihood of getting there is so much stronger. You know, it's literally that law of going to somewhere where you already envisioned you are. And 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 some sometimes you when you were there, it's like, wow, I feel like I've already been here. Mm-hmm. You know, and and because in a way you have, right? You've like you 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 put yourself in that future, and then it's just the challenge to get into the how, right? How are you going to accomplish this parts along the way? That's the strategies, if you may. And you talked all about it from you didn't do the traditional running like crazy. You know, you you ran mountains and you, you know you did all yeah, these yeah. different parts and then ran yeah. climb mountains. Yeah. Um but I, I, I appreciate you sharing that, that, um, you know, one of the things I, I do in a regular is Zig Ziglar. I read this every day. I read this, um, basically kind of a best practice of, of how we should live our life and kind of go through it. And it's just part of my morning ritual. And it's, you know, to have those because 
it is so natural to want to go back and go back into bed and, and to sleep a little bit more. And, and next thing you know, that power hour, that opportunity for you to make a great difference goes away and we get caught into being normal again, right? You know, because you're not normal. You, 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 you did a hundred miler, dude. You know, there is, a, I mean, like 1% of people like do in the US, I think do marathons, but it's not a very high percentage that, that get to a hundred. You said only a hundred, whatever it was, people that actually finished the Cascade 100. Um, so Chad, how, what, I'm kind of curious for you. Okay, you, here you've done it and I'll ask, and I know you're you're processing it. You know, so what, what's, what's next for you? I knew it. I knew it. Bouncing around a couple things. I had this fortuitous event happen on, I climbed Mount Hood a few in June. And I met this guy that actually held the world's burpee record at one point. This would be a great guy for your podcast, by the way. I should. Oh, please. Okay. We'll talk about that. What's his name? Cameron Dorn. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about oh, it after. Okay, awesome. Okay. Met him up at the top of Mount Hood. We climbed down together, and we've kind of been in contact ever since. We did some other climbs together. And he is—he actually just came back from the Karakoram in Pakistan. So he climbed the Golden Horn up there, and he's a big triathlete, all that type of stuff. And so he wants to go back to Denali next year uh, because he got stuffed trying to summit as the largest mountain in North America, like 20,000 some feet or something. So that's on the list. He wants me to go with him. So if they do it, that's on the list. He's also talking about climbing in Peru, doing some big mountains there. But then also I was looking at the, the Great Divide bicycle trail. So it goes from like Alberta, Canada to Adobe Walls, New Mexico, basically a north to south uh, you traverse of the continent of North America, rather, or not North America, but the United States. So I was looking at that. That's, that's, I'm kind of kicking that around, but man, it's been, it's been tough. Yeah. It's like, what do I do now? <laughs> it, it really is. It really is. Cause I'm thinking about possibly doing a 200 would be interesting. I don't know if I want to start the training up again. I think I want to take a year off of that, but that's in the future. But I probably won't be solid in my plans till at least in the, in the winter or spring. This one, I've realized that like, I always make these plans and then they, they change so much throughout the fall and winter. <laughs> it's like so funny. Whatever I get inspired by, it really is, is, is something that I, that I've been seeing, but yeah, I want to like climb the grand Teton. There's a lot of climbing. I think I'm really interested in that. And yeah. So probably some big mountains, I think is what I'm looking for or, some type of long endurance activity, like the cycling thing would be, would be interesting. Something outdoors though, for sure. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That, that is, that is amazing. Um, yeah. so after, after going through this, uh, you know, you, you I'm going to just give it to you measure of success. You completed this hundred miler. How, how let's go down to the personal side of it. Cause obviously there's, there's been a lot about your personal life as you go through this let's let's i want to go you know briefly for a few minutes talk about you you know you talked about in the in earlier days you you had some challenges right you kind of that's mm-hmm. part of the bio you, you had some tr- challenges yeah. of who you are and and briefly talk about that and then how how did doing stuff get you out of that so yeah. first kind of talk about like if you don't mind talk about some of the dirty laundry of the like what 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 was the stuff going on that you know, where it's difficult for you 
you know, earlier in your, in your, in your life? Yeah. So I think, so like depression, anxiety has always kind of been this, uh, family thing that, uh, my one side of my family just would always, they would you they would have it and it was kind of normalized to the point where, yeah, you just like get these, you just get these feel good pills and then you take them and then you're good. And I was on, I was subscribed to that for a little while. And then I kind of realized that like, I was like, what am I doing? Like I have to be doing something wrong. There has to be something wrong with my thinking or there's gotta be something wrong with the way I'm living my life. That's making me like feel like this. And so that's when I started getting on and it was a very subtle change, you know, I mean, it was, it was very slow, but it was like, I started cleaning up my diet, started learning how diet affects your, can def- affect like your brain, your gut biome. I started, you know, I got into jujitsu. So I was really starting to clean up my lifestyle. I stopped going out because I want I'm just stopped getting my ass kicked on the weekends, basically. And so it was all these like little mini steps. And so I weaned myself off of uh, whatever pills I was taking for the depression and stuff. And I just, I realized that like, I needed to cope with this in a different way. And so the way I was, the way I was coping with it was with the pills or whatever, or drinking always. I was always doing that. I mean, I was from Wisconsin too. And that's kind of required, right? Yeah, it it really is. (laughs) And so, but when I, when I took that out, I needed to replace it with something. And so I replaced it with these healthy activities that were like getting me in shape, giving me a goal, giving me a purpose, getting me uncomfortable. And when you just start subscribing to that way of life, it's really is, it's a lifestyle at that point. You just realize how much better life can get. And then you start getting these people into your life because you start doing these similar activities that start raising you up as well. And so that's like one of the reasons why I kind of do some of the stuff is like to inspire other people. Like you can get out of like that despair. If you make a choice and you try to clean up your life and you can get, you can get on the other side of it and it's way better. It's way better. And I've, from where I work, like my nine to five, I've realized that. So I work with people on parole and probation. And so I've realized when I was doing that, that really it came down to really inadequate coping skills for whatever situation they were trying to deal with in life. They just had really inadequate coping skills. And so again, when I realized that and I was seeing like a real life, like how that was playing out in like people's lives. And I was like, that kind of terrified me. I don't want to be in that position. So I needed to figure out a healthier way to cope with some of the things I was going through. And so now yeah, I, it's, it works. It works. I think like one of the biggest things was cleaning up my diet. Honestly, I really do. And how much that's effect. I mean, I just, now you start, to, which was really funny because in an ultra, it's the total opposite. I got to say the life <laughs> about 50, there's a point where you stop eating solid foods. Basically you just can't digest. Yeah. Blood's not there. I was basically drinking Coca-Cola for the last 50 miles. I wow. mean, it was, yeah, I was just, I, boom, boom. I mean, cause it's got the calories, sugar, carbs, you know, I would never do that in real life, but oh man, for the ultra, it was great. Mm. And so, 
but yeah, after cutting all, all that stuff and just really doing a 180 with my lifestyle, I mean, a lot of people that I talk to now are just like, I don't even know you. I mean, like yeah. I was, yeah. So like I had all this pent up energy, but I was doing it, I was using it towards the wrong things basically. So now I'm redirecting it into healthier things in my opinion. So how do you measure success in what you're doing today? I think by a lot of it is inspiring other people. I love when I get like messages and things like that. Like, oh my gosh, like I went and I did that because you inspired me to do this. I think that's awesome because I think it makes a ripple effect in the world. If you get enough people to get on that lifestyle and start feeling good about themselves, it's just more happy people. That's, that's great, right? For, for a good, good planet. And then also by constantly just constantly reaching outside of my comfort zone. Like I have to, if I'm not doing that and ask my girlfriend, I get extremely ornery when it's raining here, you know, and I can't do anything. I get extremely ornery. So really trying to strive to make sure I'm hitting my full potential. And there's, you probably have heard this speech where they talk about, you know, you're on, you die and you meet the person that you could have been. Mm. That scares me. That scary, that terrifies the life out of me. And so I want to make sure that when I, whenever I, whenever I expire, I am as close to that person I could have been as I could be. So that's kind of how I want to live my life. Well, Chad, I look forward to working with you. As I mentioned, I, I want to be a part of that journey for you. I mean, you, you, um, you're totally inspiring to me. Um, I, I love meeting incredible people that you've done with done. I, and I, and also what you're, overcoming uh in, in, in a continual regular basis and i love it how your real joy is being able to give it to others you know yeah. and hearing that response of thank you you know for for people to give them that so um what is a book that you'd recommend for our audience judd yeah we actually talked about it too right before but relentless is great relentless taught me by tim grover relentless taught me that i was not weird for the longest time carl i thought i was weird dude I had an ex-girlfriend before Haley that, and her family, they, everything that I did was like weird to them or strange because it wasn't like we we're saying it, like, it just wasn't normal. It wasn't like, why do you want to run a hundred miles? Like why I brought it up to my ex-girlfriend once. She's like, that's like the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Right. And so I thought things were wrong with me. I was like, what is wrong with me? And until I read that book and I found so many similarities in that book that was written. That was a huge catalyst for me. And other than that, yeah. Think and grow rich by Napoleon Hill. I mean, I sent you a huge list. I yeah, had such did, a yeah. good no, list. Those are two great books. Chad. I'll leave it at that. I'll leave it at that. Yeah. <laughs> so once again, you, you are somebody who <coughs> sponsorships, people care about what you're doing. Uh, Chad, give, give a moment to what are some of the ways that people can, uh, we're going to of course post this uh, when we do our posting on our social media, but what are some ways that people can connect with you and find out more about you? Yes. Yeah, so inst I'm really active on Instagram and TikTok, and I have a lot of long form videos on YouTube, like of the John Muir Trail, Colorado Trail, a bunch of these bike tours that I've done in the, uh, in the mountains. And I also have a newsletter. I'll post it in my Instagram for this, but it's just a kind of a monthly newsletter that I do exclusive, like hiking tips and things like that, where, um, can be delivered to your email for free and stuff that I usually don't talk about on my socials. So that would probably be the best one. Awesome. 
But Chad, hey, it has been an absolute pleasure pleasure to have you on the Measure Success podcast. And, and congratulations once again on an incredible feat of in completing the Cascades 100. Thank you, Chad. I appreciate you, Carl. You are the man. 